All right, good morning, everybody. It's Lectures with Mr. Judy, and I'm Mr. Judy. Glad to have you here. So today's lecture is called Public Opinion and Governing. And as we look at what influences our lawmakers and the laws that they create, public opinion is definitely going to be a tool that is looked at because if public opinion sways enough against a person, that will either lessen the chances of the law going forth, or it may put a little fire under the seat of that lawmaker to think, hey, if I do this, this might actually cost me my job, which again, is kind of unusual, right? For Congress on a national level, because there's about a 90% incumbency rate. And if you're going to lose your job based on public opinion, it kind of means that you're screwing up pretty big. So the big idea that I want you to take from this lesson, the focus, if you will, is this. Public opinion is a very sensitive tool in how it is measured. And the problems with public opinion can make it unreliable at times. The problem with that is, is trying to decipher when is it okay to trust public opinion and when is it okay to not trust public opinion. So today we're going to talk about the limits of public opinion and why and how public opinion can be not just unpredictable, but also unreliable at times. So leaders can learn exactly what the public wants and then use that information to help create laws. However, one of the big ideas that I need you to take away is this one right here. Even though leaders know exactly what public opinion is on an issue, there is no requirement for leaders to then follow that public opinion. All right, it's basically the lawmaking equivalent of a parent saying, because I said so, right? If that one lawmaker feels a certain way about something, then that's just going to be the way that it is. So we have three main issues that restrict the truthfulness of public opinion in America today. The first one is Americans tend to be uninformed. The second, Americans are not ideological. And then the third, public opinion is fairly unpredictable as a whole, largely because Americans are uninformed and Americans lack ideology. So let's get headed to this first section. All right, this first section, Americans are uninformed. I want to start out with a study that was done in 1989 by Tamar Lewin, and in this study, Tamar Lewin asked Americans to rank 58 ethnic groups. Tamar put in a group called Wisnians, W-I-S-N-I-A-N-S. And this group, Wisnians, among 58 ethnic groups in America. Here's the interesting thing. Wisnians is completely made up. It's not a real group. There is no such thing as the Wisnians. However, Tamar Lewin put this in the study just to kind of see what people would think. And 29% of the people ranked Wisnians as a major American ethnic group. Just let that sink in. 29% ranked a group that does not exist, right? And this kind of leads to 
the bigger narrative that people tend to answer with their best answer or as if a survey is a test, meaning to manipulate for a specific purpose, which a lot of times leads to inconsistencies, right? And I want you to think about for just a minute, if you're sitting down and you're taking a test in a class, you're going to try and put the best answer forth that you can because you're afraid of judgment if you're wrong and whether that judgment is like tied to a grade or tied to social, you know, to a social aspect that maybe all your friends got the answer right, but you got the answer wrong. So you're always going to try and put forth the best answer, whether that's on a test, whether that's in a in a conversation and you want to try and say the right thing all the time. And so this is how people people get in trouble because there's a lack of education, right? And with that lack of education, these best answers tend to be completely not right. Okay. Voting in America does not require a certain set of knowledge. And because voting does not require a certain set of knowledge, many people are uninformed and underinformed on not just issues, but specifically on the candidates they are voting for. Because politics is seen as a luxury interest. And this is one of my big, big ideas for all class, right? This is one of the things that's really easy for you to take and see how it, you know, how it applies to your life, but also it it goes across the board. It's just not like government specific, right? The idea of luxury interest and information cost. So information cost is the time and mental effort required to absorb and store information regardless of source, right? The time and mental effort required to absorb and store information regardless of source. So think about your brain as a box for a minute. A box has a finite amount of space and you get to determine what you put into that box. When I was a senior in high school, I could have told you the starting lineup for all 30 major league baseball teams. And while that seemed really, really cool to me, that was 100% not cool to my calculus teacher who would have preferred that instead of knowing all the starting lineups for all 30 major league baseball teams, that I would have rather stored how to graph a function because I really, really struggled with that, with that concept. And the reason why is because frankly, I didn't care to learn how to graph a function because to me and my interest, the starting lineups for all 30 major league baseball teams was more important because of the amount of fantasy baseball I played at the time. And so taking this kind of going back to how this talks about Americans being uninformed because politics is a luxury interest. You have to make time and you have to put forth effort to be engaged in politics because there is no requirement for you to pass a test in order to vote. So if I want to just look on social media, if I want to just read a couple blog posts or articles online and call myself an informed voter, that's my prerogative. I I can do it despite the fact that I'm probably going to be massively under-informed. And so another part of this is the idea of political efficacy, as in I can make a change or I can do something positive with my vote, right? And if you don't believe in political efficacy, if you don't believe that your vote matters, the cost of political information is just simply not worth it, right? 
So how do you make information worth it to an average citizen? Well, you make them take a government class, right? And essentially, you try and almost kind of create a culture of guilt or shame to say it is your civic duty to be informed. And most criticism of underinformed Americans actually does come from people with access to politics or hold a job in which current events is or knowledge of current events is required. And because that is their world where they are constantly looking at politics or constantly looking at what shapes our society. They look at everybody else and say, well, if you're not involved, then like shame on you. How dare you not be involved? This is your life. Why don't you care enough about it? And in order to combat that lack of education, 39 states now require a government class or a civics class to graduate. 30 of those states um, require now a citizenship test in order to graduate, which including Utah, right? And while this helps, the issue is, isn't necessarily that education, you know, in high school, it's continuing that education past high school when you're on your own and now you're specialized in a job, you're specialized in a career, and maybe learning about politics doesn't have to be part of your job anymore. So Americans are are uninformed, just a quick recap, big ideas, right? People try and tend to answer with the best answer possible. Voting doesn't require a certain set of knowledge. Politics is a luxury interest, and because of that, the information costs to acquire knowledge about politics, to store that knowledge about politics, and to do something with it is generally seen as not that important to most people. And in order to combat that, we have government classes in high schools, but for adults, the idea of continuing education for government issues is largely something that most people do not participate in, or at least do not participate in enough um, as to be as to satisfy people who are in politics or in current events. All right, the second idea is that Americans are not ideological. Now, unlike other countries, Americans are not constrained by one political ideology, as you would maybe see in like a communist country. Despite the presence of major political parties, um, we don't grow up indoctrinating students about like, you know, you have to be Republican, you have to be Democrat. And if that takes place, it takes place mostly on an individual home level. There is no you know, necessarily like certain political viewpoint that is taught in schools that students are brought up with. So when I say Americans are not ideological, I want to define real quick what ideology means. Ideology is a system of beliefs in which one or more organizing principles connect the individual's view on a wide range of particular issues. Okay, so I'll say again, a system of beliefs in which one or more organizing principles connect the individual's view on a wide range of particular issues. So as an example for this, I would like you to think about a sports team, particularly in high school, right? Most of the time coaches come up with mottos or a theme for the year or a game plan, you know, whatever it is and say, if you believe in these three to five things as a team, If you believe in three to five things as a team, 
we will have success this year. And these three to five things are, and then the coach will list them, right? And continually talk about and practice with the belief that if you do those three to five things, no matter what, your team will be successful. That's a coach creating an ideology for the team, right? It's non-religious, it's kind of dogmatic, but it it's mostly just here's the three or five standards I need you to adhere to in order to in order to uh, ensure success. And so what, what I'm getting at is ideology is held by a small group in America. It's typically held by political elites, whereas the mass public does not necessarily see the same value in holding to an ideology. And this does come from the very foundations of our country in the sense of freedom of thought, freedom of of worship, freedom of speech, right? But it's really that freedom of thought that you don't have to necessarily be constrained in one way to how to how to think. And we bring students up in the American education system under the idea that your thought is valuable. And it is, it is valuable, right? But when when there's a class of 35 students and there's 35 individual ideologies, as these 35 students enter into into the adult world and now become active citizens and voters and whatnot, you're trying, as a candidate, you're trying to figure out how to, how to corral these 35 opinions from this one single class. But I mean, taking that obviously on a more meta level, you're trying to not just get 35 opinions and 35 different ideologies. You're trying to get the entire ideology of a congressional district or a state or an, of a nation. So a major difference or a major issue with ideology is consistency, right? So for example, an average American citizen may believe in less government interaction with business, but that same citizen may also believe that the government government needs to be big enough to regulate health issues. And in order to regulate health issues, that might mean something like workman's compensation. It might mean something like an employer needs to provide health care. It might mean that an employer needs to provide certain working conditions and even certain equipment to keep you healthy while you're on your job, right? And so that there's a little bit of a contrast, right? Like government be, be big, just not too big, you know, find that sweet spot. But the problem is, is that sweet spot doesn't really exist, right? You're either going to have a small government that really doesn't regulate much with business, or you're going to have a big government that regulates a lot with business. The, the sweet spot doesn't really exist. Um, I remember a few years ago, there was an issue with, with transgender groups and which bathroom should transgender groups use, you know, the male or the female. And there was a lot of debate about it, right? Despite the fact that this is less than 1% of the population, it did become a, na- a national controversy for a minute. And this is, it also served as another great example of someone um, who doesn't have a consistent ideology because multiple times I remember hearing people, I support LGBTQ plus rights. You know, I support these groups. I just don't want them in my bathroom. And that's a great example of a lack of consistency in ideology because how can you say that you support the rights, but then you want to restrict the rights at the same point in time? All right, so Americans are not ideological. Let's take a quick review of this. 
right? Americans are not constrained by one political ideology. We have multiple political ideology ideologies available. An ideology is a system of beliefs in which one or more organizing principles connect the individual's view on a wide range of particular issues. Political elites are generally the ones that hold an, to a ideology, whereas the mass public does not. And one of the issues with the mass public and ideology is the lack of consistency. Okay, we got one more section. Let's get after it. Okay, last section right here, and then we'll go home for the day. So, public opinion is unpredictable. The lack of education and ideology among American voters on a subject often leads to inconsistent thought on a given subject. As examples, President George W. Bush pushed for a tax cut plan and was widely supported by voters. However, voters also called for increased spending on Social Security and education, which was completely unpredictable and also showing that lack of consistent ideology. President Barack Obama pushed for a $787 billion economic stimulus bill, which was received generally well, so that we could provide more programs and access to things for, for Americans. However, voters also called for a balanced budget. And not only does that show a bit of a lack of consistency in ideology, what that also shows is a lack of education about how our budget works and where the money that the United States uses in its budget comes from and why and where and how and all these other ideas. All right, so most people believe cuts to one program will automatically lead to increased spending for another. However, as I was saying before, most people don't understand how the budget works, where 65% of the money that the government spends is already spoken for. So just because you cut one program doesn't like you have to look as at it as is this discretionary spending or is this mandatory spending? Because we're probably cutting money to discretionary programs, but mandatory programs are going to get funded no matter what. And that shows a little bit of that lack of education. Despite its unpredictability, public opinion is often protected by political elites who will protect rights while the public typically will defend values, which I find really interesting, right? The idea of rights versus values and who wants to or what is a little bit more important. Um, but what this does lead to is a working balance against which politicians must base decisions. And a lot of that is who are my voters and what do I need to speak to them about? Do I need to speak to them about rights or do I need to speak to them about values? But here is another example of how public in, uh, opinion is inconsistent or unpredictable, right? There was a Gallup poll done on unpopular opinions in the United States. And if we are going to be consistent, if we're going to show our education level, this should be consistent. However, it's not. It's unpredictable. Okay. 94% of the, all the people polled said that people should be allowed to express unpopular opinions, i.e. people should be able to say what they want. 94% say this, right? It's okay if you say something that somebody else might not agree with. 
92% of the people polled said free speech is very important or crucial to a, to a functioning society. Now here's the dip. We start to add conditions, right? The amount of people that agree newspapers should be allowed to criticize the military on strategy and performance, 59%. Now, mind you, 92% just said free speech is very important or crucial. And then people, 94% said people should be allowed to express unpopular opinions, except if it's about the military. Then 59% say, yeah, newspapers should be able to criticize the military. 56% say musicians should be allowed to sing songs with lyrics that others might find offensive. 48% agree people should be allowed to publicly say things that are offensive to religious groups. And 43% agree that people should be allowed to publicly say things that are offensive to racial groups. Again, a lot of inconsistency here, but unpredictable, right? Because you would think that people would would just, you know, say, hey, I'm okay with these things, but they don't. And what it leads to is this is why our laws have a lot of conditions. And this is why lawmakers, you know, talk about the public being fickle at times is because we don't know exactly where the public is going to land. We thought that, hey, if you believe free speech is very important or crucial, then you probably should agree that musicians are going to say things that might be offensive or bad words in their music, right? But only 56% say musicians should be able to do that. So public opinion is unpredictable because of that lack of education, because of that ideology, right? And despite its unpredictability, political elites will protect the rights in order to in order to um, express ourselves, that freedom of speech, right? And, pub- and the public, the mass public, will defend the values which the political elites fight to defend. And so public opinion and governing is very up and down, right? It's not always the most reliable tool. And we've seen some examples of how public opinion can't always be trusted. However, in order to make decisions, Lawmakers do have to ask the public about their thoughts on things and interact with the public. And so, despite the fact that there might be some negatives about it, I would encourage you to stand up and interact with your lawmakers, whether it's send an email about their ideas or go to a town hall meeting, interact with them on social media. They are actually pretty knowledgeable on social media. And in a lot of ways, you'd be surprised at how good lawmakers are on social media. But interact with them. Let them know your thoughts because you never know when your thought might be the one to actually change something. Thanks for listening, guys.